Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. In discussing the border and all the pieces that go into a conversation about the border, one of those things is why are people coming? We talked about how there's this very bad messaging that comes from the White House, purposeful to the eyes of many, including my own, of trying to say that we should be a borderless nation. That is true of a tremendous amount of the Progressive Party, the Democratic Party. That cannot be understated. But there's also things moving people to want to be part of the United States that have nothing to do with our messaging, but their needs, wants, desires. It is not my argument that it is our job to cater to their needs, wants, and desires. But what if some of those actually do tie in with where we're at and the reflexive nature to which many of us come to immigration doesn't actually solve our need? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. It's Border Week here, presented by Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org. And we're hitting all of the pieces of it. Daniel Garza joins me, president of the Libre Initiative, which is part of that whole umbrella world of Americans for Prosperity. They work on a lot of these policy issues and they work on it from, well, here's the Latino point of view, if you will. And there's more than one. So we should be clear about it. So I I started with with Daniel Garza, president of the Libre Initiative, with the basics. What is the Libre Initiative? What do you guys do? The Libre Initiative really is an organization that uh, engages the Latino community across the country, mobilizes them around the issues um, that uh, honor and uphold our America's founding principles. And really, it's about advancing a freedom agenda uh, and, of course, lessening the burden that uh, government imposes on its people so that we reverse the centralization of power and money and control that we're concentrating in Washington, D.C. back to the individual. So when when we talk about immigration in the United States, we're talking about Mexico at all times because we're talking about the southern border. But we talk about, for example, migrant caravans that come up from south south of Mexico or from Colombia. But it's always a conversation of Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, uh, et cetera. is it the argument that the Latino community, to the extent that we, we believe there is one, needs to have a larger voice in what goes on in immigration? Or is it the idea that there are far more voices within a quote-unquote Latino community that aren't getting enough play? Well, look, I think what's going to be important here is that the Latino community, uh, one, have a balanced approach to what are the policy initiatives that are going to resolve or mitigate you know, our, uh, our immigration crisis. And that means balancing the call for legal channels that can address market forces, labor demand, uh, reunify families, while at the same time uh, enhancing border security so that we get to control uh, the irregular flow of folks that are coming in. Uh, we decide who comes into our country, under what conditions, and, and what number. And right now, we don't have that operational control because of this administration. And so I think the Latino community needs to be very clear and very upfront uh, about you know, what, what they're asking for when it comes to immigration. But I think that the for, for a lot of people, you you get told via via the press that there is a monolithic thought process to the idea of immigration and the very concept of the of the libre initiative i think just when you see it exist is to say that's just not the case 
That's right. That is not the case. Look, I think we also have to have an honest conversation about what is uh, inducing this immigration uh, crisis. One is bad policy, but also it is the ravages of socialism and leftism in, in, in throughout you know, the Caribbean, Central America and South America and Mexico. Uh, look, you know, people are coming to America because they see it as the promised land, the promised land where, you know, we honor uh, the freedoms that are enshrined in our founding charters, the economic opportunities that we have because of our um, free market system that allows for us to accommodate flows of millions and millions of poor immigrants throughout our history and allows them to, um, of course, uh, create their own wealth and wealth for others, as millions have done. Uh, the concept of the rule of law is real in America. It's eroding, but it's real, you know. Um, and of course, that you have relative security in America. All these are inducements, right? It's a magnet that pulls people. But there is a push factor that it, that is uh, also occurring at the same time. And, and it is causing this influx at the border uh, that this administration doesn't have the will uh, to address. So let's let's break it down to these component pieces, right? What is the draw for people to come to the United States? There's an economic argument. People want right. to make a, a living. They want money. There is a political argument where they live is not as good as here, even though we see the political strife in, in, in the United States. Uh, and then there is the argument that gets talked about a lot, certainly on, on the political right and other places, is that, why wouldn't you want to come to America? You're going to get handed everything on, on a silver platter. Uh, so if, if we are to take those three things, the idea of being able to, to prosper, engaging the concepts of prosperity, trying to escape uh, the hatred and the bigotry and the horrors of, of socialism, or freebies, which one is the biggest draw? And if I haven't hit it in those three, what is the fourth? Well, um, you know, obviously, uh, like I said, the fourth is don't underestimate, I think, the value of freedoms, the freedoms that we have, uh, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the freedom to possess uh, uh, arms to protect your family, uh, the freedom of assembly, the freedom to, to petition you know, your elected leadership. Uh, all these things have been eroded throughout uh, South America. And look, you know, we're not doing that well either, to be honest with you, when it comes to these issues, uh, all the way from Canada to the tip of Argentina, the entire Western Hemisphere is, is, is left of center, you know, when it comes to leadership right now. Uh, so many of us are trying to, to, to fix that. But, but relatively speaking, in comparison, America still remains a free country, a free people, um, you know, with our freedoms, you know, that, that, that we have uh, because we, we continue to defend our Constitution. Um, I, we are fighting hard at the Libre Initiative to make of the Latino community a vanguard for those freedoms that they engage in, in a very real way and petition their elected leadership uh, that we want to uphold those freedoms, not erode them. And if people are coming to America, it is because they believe in those freedoms um, and, and they see that it, it, it creates a better life for them and, and, and a better economic life. Look, fundamentally, when somebody walks into a voting booth, they ask themselves one fundamental question. Will my life be better if I vote for this person or that person? And so you know, we just want to make sure that we you know, educate Latinos on, on who those preferred candidates are that are lying on those freedom issues. Talking to Daniel Garza, he is the president of the Libre Initiative connected with Americans for Prosperity. And as I hear you talk about it, when we talk about the draw, 
you're not saying that the draw is one specific thing. You're not even ranking the things. You're saying that the draw is all the things. There is a concept there regarding people want a better economic life. There is the socialism and other horrors that they are uh, escaping. And there is the desire for the everyday freedoms that Americans uh, like, and certainly like like you and I are, are aggressively defending. But I do need to, because it, it is there, discuss the idea of, of the giveaways. We see a tremendous amount of this. And it is, of course, political in the United States that, uh, of course, you should get voting rights. And, of but, course, but, you should but get Tony, let, me, let, me try, let me try to stop you there. Because, Please. Look, Go um, ahead. Yeah. When, when, when people in South America turn on their television and they see Hollywood movies, uh, they see an America that is really a, a prosperous country, a strong country. They don't see welfare. They don't see you know, the giveaways. When they get here, that's what the left is offering them. And and see and then that's the mistake that, that that's happening right now is that you know part of part of our political system is offering them an easy path that really actually ends up with mediocrity, uh, a life not worth living, and the other side is offering them um, a shot at opportunity, an equal opportunity in America to to lift yourself up from the bootstraps, to leverage your talents and your skills and your hard work. And make something of yourself that is purposeful, that has merit to it, because you created it. It's the American dream. That's the promise that we sell. You know, for, for us who are conservative, right? You know, who who believe in the American dream, uh, but they can be sold a bad bill of what you're talking about—the freebies and and the welfare and whatever—and and that's what we're trying to steer people away from. Right. The, the, uh, and and I uh, I'm convinced that people are not coming for the freebies. They're coming to to work hard. They're industrious people who have not been allowed to do that in their country of origin. Uh, so uh, I would say if, if there are people coming for the freebies, it's a small, small, small minority. So, and, and it's important to make sure that we are addressing the elephant in the room and then the reality in the other place, because so often yes. with policy regarding the border, there isn't one thing, it's an all of the above thing. And the same thing with what attracts people to the United States, it's not one thing, it isn't all of the uh, uh, above kind of conversation that this thing is happening doesn't mean that it is the only reason or the driving force you, your your words were that you don't think that is the driving force is this anecdotal no, it's conversations what the left or is this telling data? them once they arrive and and that is the biggest mistake that we can we can do look the left wants control the left wants people dependent on on the federal government and and if that's what we're going to sell people we're in trouble as a country um what we need to offer them is is, is not you know redistributing uh, somebody else's earned wealth you know to, to, for their benefit, but redistributing knowledge and opportunity. And, and the opportunity is going to come when we help you know people to remove barriers. Like thirty percent of us in 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 in, uh, in the Latino community only speak Spanish. That's a major barrier to opportunity. In some states, fifty percent of us don't have a driver's license. That's something we take for granted as Americans, but it's a major uh, uh, um, uh, barrier for them. And then 33% of us in the Latino community don't have a high school diploma. When you add all these things together, uh, disproportionately, we're suffering as a community. And we don't have equal opportunity if we're facing the, these barriers. But if we work to remove those barriers and, uh, and then, of course, give people access to the marketplace just you know, wash them, you know, and leverage their skills and their talents, and and unleash you know their extraordinary capabilities. Um, but again, if we sell them this bad bill of goods that the left is is hell bent on doing, uh, we're creating a two tiered society of people who are dependent on government and people who are actually creating value for others.
So how does the Libre Initiative go about, and, and maybe I'm, I'm asking it the wrong way, not necessarily about the Libre Initiative, but a policy conversation in general. How do you go about pushing policies that allow for legal immigration that don't engage uh, what, what Americans would call the handout yep. and appeal to not only American sensibilities of what you need to do to be an American, but those people who want a better life of what they want to aspire to. What, how, do, how does one engage that? Well, Tony, it's going to take hard work. It means going into the communities and connecting with people in their churches, in their chamber of commerces, in, in their community centers, and, and having policy discussions. Like we're going to be having tomorrow a limited policy forum here in Miami. We're going to be talking about post-debate on the kind of policies you know, that we need to be driving forward and who these uh, candidates need to be talking about when it comes to the priorities of the Latino community. You need to engage with the Latino community one-on-one -on -one and just have these conversations. If, if you think they're going to pick up you know, uh, conservative ideas or limited government ideas through osmosis or, or, or through the blood or something, it doesn't happen. It happens through communicating ideas. And whether that's on Spanish language television or whether that's on mainstream television or, or in their communities or their churches, if that's what it takes, that's what we're doing. But we'd love to do it at a larger scale. And I really wish that the Republican Party would get on board and, and, and do more engagement than they have in the past. Uh, I think they've been um, suffering, I think, um, the lack of support of the Latino community because they just assume these things. Look, Ronald Reagan said freedom doesn't pass on through the blood. It passes on from one generation to the next, and it's no different in the Latino community. So uh, let's let's take a, another a step back. You know, if, if you listen to American press, this is the most oppressive, horrific country the world has ever yeah, known, right. and everybody's a bigot at every second. But yet people still come. Uh, when we talk about socialism, yeah. do you think in the United States we have a real understanding of exactly how oppressive it is in a place like Venezuela or other uh, Latin or Southern American countries? No, because, uh, for instance, in the Latino community uh, for decades, um, I sort of referred to this a little bit ago, we had a one-sided conversation in the Latino community and it was left of center. It was controlled by Spanish language television, by unions, by university professors, by nonprofit Latino organizations that took money from the government and, and then came around during election time and reminded them who gave them, you know, these freebies and vote for the person, you know, who, who, who made this happen, uh, which was a Democrat, um, Hollywood, celebrities, social media, all left. Uh, and we stayed away from minority communities for far too long. That's what had happened. But now things of the, the tide is turning and you're starting to see these shifts in the election. Why? Because candidates are starting to engage with the Latino community. Look, I believe that as, as somebody who is an advocate for policy or even a, a political candidate, you need to get across two sentiments to anybody because it transcends. One is that you care about them because if you don't care about them, then nothing else you say matters. And, and you show you care by showing up by listening to what their priorities are and addressing them. Uh, and number two, um, it's like you care, but your ideas are superior. You have the better ideas. Please explain to me how voting for you is gonna make my life better. And, and so you need to get across those two sentiments. And I think our side has done a horrible job of doing that for too long. And, and it's time that changed. And that changes by making what statement, if you were advising, whether it be the Republican Party or a specific candidate, 
What is the statement that you advise they make uh, that would get Americans to understand the, what it is you're describing, whether it's about outreach or whether it's about why, uh, wh- how we have to change the conversation about why people are coming to the United States to begin with? That you believe in people, that you believe that they have extraordinary capabilities, that you, you are willing to reverse the centralization of power and money control in the hands of politicians in D.C., that you stop working for the aspirations of a politician and start working for your own aspirations. And, and, and look, when our founding fathers created this country and, and, and you know, authored that beautiful document where it said we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of happiness meant we don't know what does it for you. You need to figure that out. And for millions of Americans, they did figure that out. You know, what made them, what gave them purpose in life, you know, what, what, where they could leverage their skills and talents to create value for themselves and wealth for themselves and then pass it on to others and create wealth for others as well. By creating a product or a service that people wanted and was in demand and people rewarded you with their money for that. That's our free market system. That's economic freedom. And, and, and we need to fight for educational freedom and economic freedom uh, equally as, as passionate as John F. Kennedy said, our progress in America can only be as swift as our progress in education. And I, I believe that's why Latino parents are fighting so hard for school choice across the country, because it positions their child for success if they have a quality education. And then if they have a free market where they can leverage their talents and their skills, watch them go. It, it's just incredible when you unleash people with talent and skills in a free market. I think we could say that of everybody. Let people be unleashed in a free market and see what it is they do. This immigration conversation is not just the one or two things we hear out of D.C. and the total intransigence. Multiple pieces, and we have to be asking ourselves, what is to the benefit of the United States and what isn't? And it's not that saying something is a benefit is somehow acquiescing or failing the country. It's not it at all. Our job is not to be reflexive. Our job is not to be ideological. Our job is to be smart and approach this properly and create the best benefit possible for the nation. My thanks to Daniel Garza. More Border Week coming up the rest of this week. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today. In the great nightmare that is bigotry seen all across the country, Yale University, ah, leave it to the ISIS League, I mean the Ivy Leagues, they have solved the problem by changing the name of a menu dish in the cafeteria. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, you cannot make up this ridiculous nonsense. In the Yale University cafeteria, one of their many, I assume, they would serve on a regular basis Israeli couscous salad. I guess that's couscous and tomatoes, maybe a little garlic, some basil, a little olive oil, drizzle. Probably delicious. But now, to ensure that nobody is triggered, uh, they just call it couscous salad. Problem solved. Problem solved. This is... These, these, these ISIS leagues are, 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 are nuts. These schools are ridiculous, ridiculous children. It's Israeli couscous salad. Why wouldn't you call it that? Because some student's going to get upset because it's Israeli? That's a student not smart enough to go to Yale. But as the ISIS league, sorry, the Ivy Leagues, nope, said it right the first time. The ISIS league has shown us they're not looking for smart. 
They're looking for ideological fellow travelers. These schools are not worth your time or money. Don't give them either. This is Tony Katz today. Let me be frank with you, friends, if there's anyone inspired by unresolved issues on Capitol Hill is just Putin and his sick clique. Inspired by unresolved issues on Capitol Hill, says Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, came to the United States to beg for the dollars. Well, Congress is split on this. They don't mind giving some money, but they want to tie it to border security. At least that's the Republicans. The Democrats saying that's giving Putin exactly what he wants, everything he wants. I think it was Chuck Schumer who leads the Senate. It's a gift, I tell you, a gift. If Republicans keep insisting on Donald Trump's border policies, then they will be at fault when a deal for Ukraine, Israel, and humanitarian aid to Gaza all fall apart. The issue is Donald Trump's border policies? You mean the ones, you mean the ones that worked? Oh, Chuck Schumer, you're not playing the right game here. And I don't think Vladimir Zelensky did, but he did walk away with $200 million in weapons. He's getting it from the U.S. stockpiles. He's not getting the money. But more and more people are discussing, what are we even giving to this war is a stalemate. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Major Mike Lyons joins me right now. Retired United States Army, West Point guy, military analyst, up and down uh, your television screens, and of course with us here. The stalemate conversation has been coming up repeatedly, and you were one of the first people I have heard bring uh, th- this up. You have uh, Senator Ron Johnson, Stating on uh, Fox News with uh, with um, uh, sorry with with Laura Ingram, stating quite clearly that the only way for uh, Ukraine to beat Russia at this is to fire rockets into Moscow. Now that's not happening. But now talk to me about the stalemate conversation. Do you still feel that this is accurate? Good morning, Tony. I do. There's no question that the stalemate is is what it is. It's been going on since this offensive, the counteroffensive started back in June, which we talked back then without air support was going to be a folly to begin with. Um, from history has shown that they needed uh, to dominate in the air and to have almost three times as many troops on the ground. Now, Russia has taken significant casualties. Um, But because they had a six-month time before that to build up a defense in depth with landmines and other uh, other type of military equipment, uh, that you look from intelligence that shows it's like at least three bands. What I mean by that is, you know, three layers to kind of get through. So the counteroffensive has stopped. Meanwhile, that same uh, that same um, obstacles have kept Russia from moving forward as well. So there's there's a stalemate from a military perspective on the ground here. So now it, it just comes down to which country has more, you know, industrial wherewithal in order to, to wait this out. And that's still going to be Russia as they have 
you know, more capacity to do that over time because of their, because of their capability. That brings us to the idea of a war of attrition, right? It's just about waiting the other person out until you get quite literally the symbolic surrender from Russia or you mm-hmm. get the, okay, fine, you can have the Donbass or you can have Donetsk or Luhansk from Ukraine. A giving up of land from Ukraine ends this thing and you're starting to hear Republicans very, very openly say this. But um, when I talk about a war of attrition, this is this is World War One trench warfare. Nobody's going to gain an inch for any amount of time in any one direction. Somebody has to give up for this to stop. That's right, and and people want to get to the end point right away. They they know where this is going to go to. They don't want any more deaths, and they don't want to see any more destruction from the infrastructure perspective. But uh, that's what history has shown. But we're still not there yet. Where either side wants to admit that Russia still believes that it can eventually control Ukraine, and Ukraine still believes that they could vanquish Russia out of Crimea and those places in the Donbass. Um, and so until that, until that changes. Now, by giving, Russia, uh, giving Ukraine more military equipment, ATACMs, those are those missiles that they want to be able to threaten in, inside of Russia, um, will that change Russia's behavior? I still don't think so. I, th- I think that um, Vladimir Putin is in this for the very long haul. He's not getting any younger, recognizes that he can't take a loss here. And so there's still no way out of this in, in a manner that he doesn't lose any face or potentially lose his country. And I think until that situation gets resolved somehow with another kind of alternative, I, I think you're just going to continue. This is going to go on for, for months and even possibly still years. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, MAJ Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, on the X Twitter box. Putin has to save face. You you basically said words along those lines. He's not getting any younger. Uh, he's already stating that he's going to run for re-election as if somehow there are elections in, in, in Russia. Is there word on how the Russian people have seen this? They've lost a lot of treasure. They've lost a lot of, uh, of blood. Uh, they still uh, favoring this as a righteous move? Well, I, you know, if you look at the reports, the, the, their casualties are in the hundreds of thousands. Um, they've lost so much material that they've had to bring uh, equipment back that they had behind, behind the Ural Mountains. Uh, T-60 tanks, for example, we see on the battlefield there. Um, but, um, you know, the, if, the, if these casualties are, are pre-war personnel, which is what they are, you know, Russia still has military mass that, you know, given time, they can eventually generate um, more people and the battlefield experience to fill, you know, some of the leadership roles, some of the people that have been lost. So I do think that inside of Russia that they do feel the the cause is still uh, just and right on their side. And he, there's, we've not seen any type of uprising. Now, again, Russia is a, you know, a huge country, 11 time zones and, you know, easy to keep uh, information separated from, from people. Um, but, um, but a lot of the, you know, the, the active army took a very big hit here, but that's not to say that they still can't mobilize the amount of people it's going to take in order to at least maintain the stalemate as it is. So I want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding this. It's a stalemate in Russia. It has been a tremendous amount of casualties, but there's nothing that says that Russia still won't try to achieve the saving face victory, and if they get land, everybody will consider it victory. 
think so. I, I think that that's if they can gain that land, maybe from Ukraine, maybe if Ukraine does assess over and allows Russia to formally annex Crimea and um, and some of those regions that uh, for, for whatever reason, I but Ukraine's not there yet as well. So I, I think a lot of the intel right now is designed to get, you know, this goes in waves and with regard to aid for Zelensky and what, what he kind of needs. And there's no question he's running out. He's running out of ammo. He's running out of people. One five five millimeter ammo in particular that that has not been um, that production lines have not been ramped up here. Um, however, uh, the, the, from our perspective, it still is hurting Russia. But until other forces are acting on Russia, until economic sanctions, something something else has got to change the equation because this is the definition of insanity. This is the same thing repeating over and over without getting any kind of result. And there's still no pressure on Zelensky. Zelensky's not going to give up land from his perspective. At least the Ukra- that's what he's told the Ukrainian people, that he will, he'll lose because then he'll look like he's not saving face. So let's, let's talk about uh, Zelensky. Um, a stalemate, is that considered victory by the Ukrainian people? Well, it, it depends on if they start to tire of losing their youth and if they start to tire because the wall are not taking the casualties and the numbers that the russians appear to be um they still are affected more because they have just less population um but from from what reports show and the intel community is saying that um they believe themselves that they are attriting russian operations and they are um you know they want us to just kind of get through the winter now and if they if they can do that, then perhaps something will change. It, it, it is it, they've they've lo- they've not lost faith in what their initial mission is, and until they put pressure on Zelensky to try to find another solution, again we're going to continue to. So, if the Ukrainian people haven't lost faith in Zelensky, or Zelensky hasn't lost faith in what the primary mission is, it's very obvious that they've lost uh, the United States in terms of unlimited checks. There are no more unlimited checks. There's no more unlimited money. And it doesn't seem like it's coming from European nations. Has Zelensky failed in the messaging game of the seriousness of the the need for defeat? No, I don't. I, the thing is, that hasn't changed. And unfortunately, that's just affected by U.S. politics. Um, it, it, you know, the, the Republicans want to tie it to something from a, you know, Republicans look at this as a horse trading operation they want to tie aid to, to border security and from their perspective it, you know it's just pure politics but the democrats don't want to do that for whatever reason either i i don't you know you can argue with this uh, on both sides um but i don't think the reasons is there's no difference with regard to the reasons why we supported ukraine 12 18 months ago almost two years ago when this thing started um we have a proxy uh country that's willing to take out a significant military capability of Russia, I don't understand why we wouldn't do that. So without sending U.S. forces out of there. Now, there's reports also of more American generals there. Obviously, there's special operators that are that are working, you know, in the, within the margins, let's say, uh, of that operation of what's of what's happening there. But um, but but again, this is coming down to that war of attrition between an industrial capability of both nations of which Russia still contains more and until more is supplied to the ukraine side then eventually they would wear down and they would lose well so let me let me take a step back talking to major mike lyons retired united states army russia invades and i think the first response was screw these russians go get them ukraine and then after billions upon billions upon billions of dollars 
The question was, where did all our money go? And is it going to, to tanks and to bullets? Or is it going to some other kind of funding for people's future? That's not what we want to pay for. And then came these conversations about stalemate and saying, well, if the Russian military, I think it was Mike Pence who said, Russia went from the second best military in the world to the second best military in Ukraine. But that's the case. They're not a strong right. military. So is I guess we now get to what is it that we're actually funding and how much does it take to do it if it's just a stalemate why do we have to give multi-billion dollar packages for a stalemate? The only reason for a multi-billion dollar package is some level of victory where Putin says, I quit. And what you're saying is Putin's never going to say, I quit. Right. But again, if we don't do this, then, then Ukraine will lose. So, so from, that, from that perspective, we don't, we don't want Putin to win. So this is the price you have to pay. There's, there's, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's the money that's got to be paid to get even. There's, if we wanted to have Ukraine win, we would triple, quadruple the amount of support. We would do a lot more than we were doing right now. There's, there's not been any kind of focus on gathering allies. You're absolutely right about Europe. The pressure on European countries to provide this is all but withered away. So the United States is left here standing. But, but that's because, again, Europe recognizes that this is um, – that, that is important and knows that America will eventually, you know, step up to do this. So, so again, it's about making sure Ukraine doesn't lose. And Not this concept, this kind con- don't mean yeah. to interrupt you, sir. This concept about winning, this has been yeah. the conversation about the flaw of Joe Biden and the Democrats. They haven't explained to America. What does it mean for Ukraine to win? And right now, I don't know if Ukraine knows what it means to win. Is there still something that can be said? Winning would mean X. Can you describe what the X is? Yeah, I, I would say that. Um, so winning from Ukraine's perspective is if they could get Russia to stop fighting, um, create a, a hard border between Ukraine and Russia, create a security situation where at least the conflict is starting. And then Ukraine in the next five years, then has what, what Ukraine wants is access to NATO. They, they want membership to NATO. And, and you've seen that uh, that still can't happen now because it's an active combat zone. But if, if, you, if over time uh, that the security situation could change there in five years and then Ukraine is eventually admitted into NATO, uh, that would be perceived, I perceive, I think, as a win for Ukraine. Now, again, we've talked about this before. We can't have NATO membership to be everybody but Russia because that's how the First World War started to begin with, right? All these alliances. But we're given what Russia has done here, given what's happened, and if we don't want Ukraine to be part of eventually being swallowed by Russia, uh, that that would be considered, I think, a win. And if I understand you right, because uh, I'm a believer in funding Ukraine when it comes to bullets and tanks, you believe this should happen and that Republicans are wrong to think that no funding should occur. Right. It, 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 there should be funding um not no funding and and i understand them wanting to tie it to border security this is more of a timing issue so i, I that's just u.s politics at play there and i and i still think that uh in, in in their case that 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 does make some sense but for for for, for the republics to say no funding to let them to cut them loose right now it just it would be in that would be a disaster major mike lyons retired united states army maj mike lyons l-y-o-n-s on the X Twitter box. I appreciate you, sir. 
More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. There is no fairness or decency in what these Republicans are doing. They have lied over and over about every aspect of my personal and professional life. So much so that their lies have become the false facts believed by too many people. No matter how many times it is debunked, they continue to insist that my father's support of Ukraine against Russia is the result of a non-existent bribe. They displayed naked photos of me during an oversight hearing. And they have taken the light of my dad's love, the light of my dad's love for me, and presented it as darkness. With all due respect, Hunter Biden, I don't want to hear about your father's love for you. Fathers love their sons, or one should certainly hope. It is not a defense. More often than not, it is to shield one from the reality because the love conquers all. The love is what matters. No, sir, what you have done matters. And we don't believe you when you state that your father was not financially involved in your businesses. We do not believe you. And he skipped the deposition by the Republicans makes his statement outside the Capitol, and off he goes. And all he did was say, all right, bring impeachment closer. This is the bet the Democrats are making. You heard from all the Democrats, there's nothing there, this is a witch hunt. I think there's evidence there, and I think we should bring it forward to America. Will it mean impeachment? I don't know yet, I'm still 50-50. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care. Take care.